Thank you very much, President, for the introduction. So my talk tonight is on securing connected devices and arms race. So in today's connected age, it's possible for someone to gain access to your online bank account through a light bulb. It's also possible for someone to open your front door via an interactive doll. So I've brought along the doll today. So this is Princess Kayla. And I'm going, going to just show a quick demo uh, with Princess Kayla. So just let me turn her on here. So Princess Kayla is an interactive doll and um, she can be connected to the internet and she allows your child to ask her questions so she then goes on the internet to find the answer and she can also read stories to your child. So last year there were some security concerns over Kayla so during the summer I asked one of my intern students as their project to try and hack the doll and see how they would get along. It took him five minutes. Five minutes. So I will just quickly show, let me have a look here. So Kayla um, just talks through a little app on a tablet device. And you use then the app to have uh, Kayla read stories to your child. So it's just a simple app here. So I'll show you what she's meant to do first. I'll just hold her up to the microphone so you can all hear her. If you would like. I would really like to read this to you. This is a story all about my dog Daisy and how we got her. I'm so happy she's a part of my family. So that's what she's meant to do. So after five minutes, my student got I her to, to say... Tell stories. This is a great one. Hello, my name is Gayla and I have been hacked by Adam Galway, an intern at the Centre for Secure Information Technologies. As a doll, I am not very smart. All I can do is listen to what you say and play sounds. So in five minutes, he was able to get the doll to say anything he wanted to. So this is a little bit of a concern if this is a doll that your child is playing with and it just took five minutes to do that. So actually last year they also were able to show how um, the doll was able to use to hack a smart lock. So this was where they had a voice activated smart lock that was installed very securely but actually simply by hacking into the Kayla doll in the house they were able to get the doll to say the, the password that was needed to open the door. And so like many of the connected devices today, security was not a priority in the design of the Kayla doll. So actually this doll is now banned in Germany because they have very strict privacy laws. Um, and it's not, I don't think it's on this Christmas's popular list. In terms of other security devices like the light bulb, um, again, security is just an afterthought. So it's been demonstrated that um, through a network connected light bulb, that people could gain access to your house's uh, Wi-Fi uh, password and username. And then from that, hackers can do anything. So in terms of insecure connected devices, earlier this year, the Tech Republic released a list of the 11 least secure connected devices. And not surprising, this included smart locks, interactive toys, things like wireless routers, connected cars, IP cameras, um, 
medical uh, equipment, remote uh, medical equipment. And also included things like mobile phones. So earlier this year, researchers showed actually how you could hack a mobile phone um, from just monitoring the sensors on that phone and how you tilted it and um, in terms of um, how you entered in the PIN code. And they're able to use the sensors from within the mobile phone to gain access to the actual PIN code that you would use. So we've also recently been able to see a lot more attacks um, using connected devices. So there's been a lot of reports around attacks targeting IoT devices, for example. So back in 2016, it was reported that over 100,000 IoT devices were compromised using this Mirai botnet. And they were able to use all of these devices to launch a denial of service attack against uh, internet services in the US. And this brought down a huge number of internet services, including Amazon, a lot of news websites like Fox, CNN and so on, Netflix, Twitter and so on. So it had some significant effects. More recently then we had this year a botnet called Hide and Seek botnet. And again, it targeted IoT devices, insecure IoT devices. It didn't spread quite so um, broadly as the Mirai botnet, but again, over about 50,000 devices were uh, affected. And it actually used custom-built peer-to-peer communication to spread between IoT devices. And then very interestingly, during the summer of this year, Chinese hackers were reported to have targeted IoT devices during the Trump-Putin summit held in Helsinki in July. And this graph shows the um, IoT traffic recordings from 60 days prior to the dates of the summit in July. Now, Finland would not normally be a country that you know, is typically a target for attack, but you can see the significant spike that happened um, during the, the uh, summit in the dates in July. And the devices that were targeted were devices that could yield audio and visual intelligence. So then we've had a number of um, recent vulnerabilities that have affected the sort of underpinning technologies of IoT devices, so at the microprocessor layer. So we had the melter, meltdown and spectre attacks. And these targeted Intel processors and also broader processors like the AMD processors and ARM processors, all of which you'll find in sort of consumer devices like baby monitors, like your smartphones, like home automation systems, Fitbits and so on. And the worrying thing is one of the co-authors of these attacks in March stated that there are tens of more of similar types of attacks are to be expected. And we've already started seeing some of those emerge in the research literature. And then finally, um, the, we've heard about the big hack. So this was where Chinese hackers allegedly implanted microchips in the servers that are used in a lot of data centers for some of the world's sort of major players like Amazon and Apple. Now, Amazon and Apple went on to deny the claims. Um, and the UK Cybersecurity Agency, the NCSE, and the Department of Homeland Security in the US also sort of agreed that, that, that with the, sort of these denials. But interestingly, one of my collaborators in the Research Institute in Hardware Security from Cambridge decided to investigate the, um, the, the attack and look into the details of it. 
and to see if it was, not to see if it actually did happen, but to see if it could happen. And when he examined all of the details that were provided to reporters, his actually conclusion was that yes, this attack was actually feasible. So then that leads us to consider, well, what if we have, we're trying to secure the internet of things, but what if we're trying to secure an internet of cloned things? So counterfeit connected devices are also on the rise. So with the globalisation of supply chains, the design and manufacture of today's electronic devices is now distributed worldwide. We are using overseas foundries, we're using third-party IP, third-party test facilities. So supply chains are susceptible to a wide range of hardware-based attacks, from reverse engineering to cloning and to overproduction, um, side-channel attacks and all of these types of things. And counterfeit devices can easily host malicious software, firmware or hardware. And it was reported last year that state-sponsored cloning is thought to be common. So, these are sensors uh, that are used in Honda cars. So can you tell the difference between the clone sensor and the genuine sensor from this diagram? So these sensors are plug-in modules, I'll come back to it, <laughs> uh, plug-in modules for the engine control unit in Honda cars. And the idea is that the sensors can be used to um, sense the performance of the engine and monitor the performance so that uh, drivers can make their own adjustments. And cloned modules were so found to be sold in the US, Canada, Europe, Australia, and so on. And they were found to have actually a sort of a significant detrimental effect to the performance of the engine of the cars. And so obviously it was recommended that you need to get this checked out and make sure that your car does not have one of these. Now this is just one example of clone devices that we're aware of. But because of the clandestine nature of counterfeiting, actually we're not aware, there isn't a sort of a great awareness of the level of counterfeiting in the supply chain. And actually, the only companies that would um, perform rigorous checks of this are in sort of defence, not really in consumer electronics. So the true extent of counterfeiting is really unknown. So coming back to my cloned sensors, I don't know, hands up, who thinks it's A? <clears throat> okay, hands up, who thinks the cloned one is B? So, <laughs> interesting result. Um, so, it's, as I say, it's extremely difficult to detect. And I think people who uh, perhaps are working in the area might have some idea, um, but it would take rigorous checking to actually go through devices and understand whether this is a clone device or not. So what are the challenges in securing connected devices? So we're seeing all these devices that are being attacked the problem with those is that security hasn't been thought of at all, like with the Kayla doll, or security is an afterthought, so there's not adequate security on connected devices. So what are the challenges of secure, adding security to some devices? So with the market demand today, really it's a rush to market for new devices all the time, and this is why we're not seeing so much security. But so, for example, if we take IoT devices, so Internet of Things devices, for example, they're typically lightweight, uh, low-power, cheap devices. And if you add security algorithms 
and try and implement those on those devices. Well, cryptography that's used in security is typically quite computationally expensive. So how can you implement you know, strong security, strong cryptography on very resource constrained devices? So that's a real challenge. Also, in terms of secure connected devices, adversaries typically have physical access to the devices because they tend to be mobile devices. And adversaries can easily try and perform attacks on these devices. So one example of this is known as side channel attacks, which are used to extract the secret key from electronic devices from monitoring sort of physical leakages from a device. Things like the power consumption, the electromagnetic emanations, from timing analysis of different operations being performed on the device, and even from acoustics. And these types of attacks have already been shown to be successful against things like smart cards or car immobilizers and so on. So to give an example of how easy this can be, I've shown this example. So the RSA algorithm, so it's named after its inventors, Ravist, Shamir and Adelman, is one of the strongest security techniques from a theoretical point of view. But actually it's one of the easiest to attack when it's implemented on an electronic device, if it's not appropriately implemented. So actually if I show you here, in red you can see in terms of the key that's used along with it, if the key um, is a zero, you can see a, a squaring operation is performed. And if it's a one, the squaring operation is followed by a multiplication. So then if I take you over to the graph here, which is just a single trace of a power, uh, monitoring the power consumption of that device while it's operating, the, the power profile of a multiplication and a squaring are different. But so by simply looking at our power profile, we can read off the security key and therefore we can break the algorithm. So thankfully, any device today that uses RSA has countermeasures built in to defend against this type of attack. And then looking to the future, we have to consider quantum computers. And often people don't associate it or make a link between quantum computers and security. So there are also often, um, you think of all the advantages that will come into play when quantum computing becomes a reality. But actually it will have a significant impact on today's security. So commonly used public key encryption algorithms like RSA that I just showed will be vulnerable to what's known as Shor's quantum algorithm and will no longer be secure when quantum computing becomes a reality. And this is because the underlying hard problem on which RSA is based is to do with the, um, the factorization problem of two large prime numbers. So it's easy to multiply two large prime numbers, but it's not so easy to actually find the factors of the product. And that's the, the main hard problem on which it's based. But it's, it's not easy today with today's classical computation ability. But for quantum computing, which is exponential speed up over today's classical techniques, this becomes an easy problem due to the use of Shor's quantum algorithm. So public key cryptography is an essential element in all of today's secure communications and is used to secure everything from email to online transactions. So when quantum computers do become a reality, it will be possible to break all of today's security systems. So I've talked a lot about the doom and gloom of unsecure uh, connected devices. 
So what are we doing about it? So there is not an awful lot of ongoing research efforts to try and address these security challenges. And I'll talk through some of the technologies now that we are looking at to try and sort of counteract some of the, the challenges and the issues that are being faced today. So the first of these is an emerging technology or security primitive known as physical and clonable functions. So the physical and clonable function is simple, a simple circuit that actually picks up on underlying manufacturing process variations in electronic chips. And this can be used to generate a unique digital fingerprint for every electronic chip. So even if I take a device with my puff circuit and clone it, it will give me a different unique digital fingerprint because it's picking up on manufacturing process variations that are different between the two devices and which is out of the control for anyone who's actually trying to clone those devices. So when I issue a challenge to detect this unique response, no two chips will give the same response when supplied with the same challenge. So in terms of potential applications for this, it has significant applications for anti-cloning, for key generation or memoryless key storage. We don't need to store any more sort of passwords or keys on devices. We can just generate them as we need them from this unique digital fingerprint that's kind of stored inherently in the device. And it can be used for applications in lightweight device authentication and for unique uh, device identification applications. So at CSID, we've been conducting quite a significant amount of research into the potential of PUF technology for securing connected devices because of its lightweight, inherent lightweight nature. So we've proposed uh, what we call PicoPuff, which is a very lightweight identity-based puff that can be used to provide this unique uh, uh, device identification. And one of the significant challenges of this technology is because you're picking up on, on minute random process variations, you need to take into account environmental variations. So these can be very easily affected by changes in temperature, by changes in voltage and so on. So you need to ensure that your circuit is robust to all sorts of environmental variations. And we've been able to achieve quite a reliable circuit from the work that we've done. And it's also extremely fast, so the response is just immediate in terms of, of requesting what the unique ID is from a device. So we've been able to show that this type of puffs can be used in things like ARM Cortex M4 processors, which is what you would find in a Fitbit or a home automation device and so on. We've also embedded it into smart meter hardware architectures. So this is for two purposes, to provide authentication of the devices and for anti-counterfeiting. So this was part of a Horizon 2020 Sparks project, and there was work that we did in collaboration with Fraunhofer. And then finally, we integrated PUFF into an, an electric vehicle charging system. And this was collaborative work with Etri and LGCNS in South Korea. So LGCNS had the, um, ran a pilot program for EG, EV charging systems in Seoul City. And we worked with Etri and LGCNS to come up with a security architecture to help uh, add security to their EV charging system and protect from cloning of um, the charging systems inside the car and on the stands and also look at the security of the back-end information being sent about car owners and what they were being charged in terms of the electricity being used. So then looking at combating side channel attacks. So in terms of countermeasures to this type of attack, 
There are two sort of standard approaches that are, are sort of researched today and used today in practice, and these are masking and hiding. So the, the idea really is to break that relationship that I talked about between your security key and anything that's processing that in the device that could leak information like the power consumption. So masking involves splitting that secret value into different uniformly random shares, performing their computations on each of the shares individually. So then the attacker would need to know every share and bring them back together to reconstruct the secret value. So it makes it much more difficult to perform an attack. And hiding simply just involves adding random instructions into the process. So you're trying to hide the secret information or shuffling the order of the executed operations to make it more difficult. So to give an example of some of the research that we've done at Queen's in this area, we've developed some countermeasures against power analysis attacks specifically that again target a lightweight approach because you can't add a countermeasure that's going to significantly affect the performance of a mobile device because as I said previously, it's usually very lightweight devices that are targeted anyway. So we were able to achieve a countermeasure for one of the most popular or most commonly used encryption techniques, which is the advanced encryption standard. It's used in most security systems today, along with RSA. And we were able to achieve quite a good performance in terms of reducing the impact it had on the area of the device and also on the actual end, end of power consumption. And now companies are starting to take all of this more seriously. And just this summer, um, ARM have started to look at protecting their IoT devices from these types of physical threats. So they have actually added some mitigations to side channel attacks and tampering um, based on using sort of these ideas around SCA countermeasures. Okay, so then to address quantum computers and the threat of quantum computers. So you may think this is something that's quite far away and not something that maybe we need to consider. So in terms of quantum uh, computers, what we have today to try and address this are known as quantum safe or post-quantum cryptographic algorithms. And these aim to build crypto systems from classical approaches that are secure today, but should remain secure even after practical quantum computing becomes a reality. So back in 2015, the National Security Agency in the US have a recommended suite of security algorithms that they recommend for their companies to use. And in 2015, they released a statement to tell their companies to not update to this recommended suite because they wanted to transition to quantum-resistant algorithms. And in 2016, the US National Institute for Standards and Technology, or NIST, issued a call for quantum-resistant cryptographic algorithms they, to, to provide new public key schemes that would be resistant to the threat of quantum computers. And that's now an ongoing process, and draft standards are expected by 2022-24. So one of the most promising approaches um, in terms of these post-quantum techniques is known as lattice-based cryptography. So without going into too much of the detail, I wanted to explain that in terms of the underlying hard problem that it's based on, so RSA was based on the factorization, the difficulty in factorizing two large prime numbers, these techniques use completely different underlying hard problems. So lattice-based cryptography, for example, is based on the, on the um, shortest vector problem. So finding the shortest vector in a high-dimensional random matrix is known as a known challenging task and is believed to be even hard for quantum computers to solve, 
or quantum algorithms to solve. And that's the underlying hard problem that these are based on. We've been able to show that lattice-based security techniques are actually practical and can be quite efficient. So we can look at plugging and placing and replacing our current techniques with these new approaches. And lattice-based cryptography also allows for more advanced uh, security constructions, even beyond what we use uh, techniques for today, such as encryption and signatures. So the Safe Crypto project that was mentioned in the introduction that I lead actually looked at providing a new generation of practical, robust and physically secure post-quantum solutions to ensure the long-term security for future ITC systems. And the focus of our project was actually on lattice-based cryptography as a potential solution. Um, along with our industry partners, we presented solutions for a range of different scenarios, including satellite communications, municipal data analytics, and also IoT. So I just wanted to highlight the IoT case study. So this was in conjunction with one of the partners, HW Communications, based in the UK. And they were able to integrate uh, the lattice-based crypto implementations that were developed as part of the Safe Crypto project into a sensor tag reader system. So they were able to implement different techniques on the different, different lattice-based techniques on the different parts of their system. And that would allow the sensor reader to authenticate the tags in a quantum safe manner, but also allow for quantum safe communication between the reader and the backend system. So ultimately, we were able to demonstrate that even though this very complex post-quantum cryptographic process is a viable option even for IoT. So going back to the title of my talk, I called this an arms race. And this is really due to the scenario that we're in in security, where you have defenders continually trying to defend systems, come up with stronger security mechanisms and so on, and then attackers coming up with new threats, new attacks, defenders going back to build new countermeasures against those and so on. So even in the examples that I've provided, this is also true. So in terms of the physical and clonable function-based work, we had techniques that could be used for unique identification and techniques that could be used for authentication. Recently, we've been able to see that there have been machine learning attacks that can actually break the challenge response or authentication techniques. And that's now an ongoing problem being addressed in research. In terms of the side channel countermeasures, Again, we're seeing machine learning based approaches that can bypass the countermeasures that exist on current devices and then break them anyway. So again, another ongoing area of research for us. And then finally, in terms of the quantum safe cryptography approaches, well, we, we don't know yet what's down the line here. So we had Shor's quantum algorithm, but there's certainly a lot of people and a lot of government level working on new quantum algorithms. So who knows what new quantum algorithm will be able to break the new post-quantum techniques that are being proposed today. So this obviously begs the question, can we stay one step ahead? So I think this is one of the things that we're trying to address within our new research institute in secure hardware and embedded systems. And this is a global centre in the UK, £5 million project, targeted research and innovation in hardware security. And the focus is not only to address some of the underlying challenges in uh, research, but also to look at the translation of that research into new products and services for economic benefit. 
So this is work we're doing in collaboration at the moment with the Universities of Cambridge, Bristol and Birmingham. And the aim of the Research Institute is to address the fundamental research challenges in hardware security. So let's look at starting again at building new secure connected devices. Would you do it any differently? So how could we detect counterfeit devices? How do we detect if devices have been manipulated in any way? And how do we deal with this untrusted manufacturing processes and the untrusted supply chains? And most importantly, is it possible to build an attack resilient hardware platform? And so these are some of the challenges that the current projects in the Institute are trying to solve. So in conclusion, for the true potential of connected devices to be realized, security must be built into devices from the outset of their design and not as an afterthought. As you can see from the barrier here is a really nice representation of this thought. Now in terms of overall secure connected systems, secure devices is just one layer of that infrastructure. So you also have a connectivity layer and then you have the back-end cloud where all of the myriad of data that's been collected from these devices has been stored and analysed. And obviously security becomes a key feature in all layers. And a step change in the security and privacy of all these layers is really needed to ensure the usability and the acceptance and the reliability of secure connected systems. And at the root of that will be the need for secure connected devices. Thank you very much.